Hello there and welcome to In Your Own Kin. I'm your host Charlotte. I'm a lover of great food, sometimes artist, sleep-in advocate, storyteller, mama and postpartum professional in Nam, Melbourne. Each week I'll be chatting to families about their journey into parenthood, the grandest of adventures. Parenting is beautiful, messy, sparkly, hard work. You were never meant to do this alone. It's time to get comfy in your own kin. In Your Own Kin acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land where you are listening to today's episode. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and recognise that the telling of stories has happened here since time immemorial. In Your Own Kin is recorded by the Birurung on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has not and is not ceded and it remains stolen. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. In this week's episode, Tegan shares her parenthood journey and life with her husband Aaron and their son Xavier. Tegan speaks with such warmth and generosity about experiencing peripartum cardiomyopathy. Tegan speaks openly about the challenges she overcame in the weeks and months following Xavier's birth and her diagnosis. Her story is raw and powerful and her strength and resilience shines through. It was such an honour to listen to Tegan's story. I really hope you enjoy today's episode. You can see some more photos of Tegan and her beautiful family over on Instagram at Kim by Charlotte and on the In Your Own Kin website, which is linked in the show notes. Here's Tegan. Thanks so much for joining me on the show tonight, Tegan. It's such a pleasure to be chatting with you. Thanks so much for having me. Would you like to let the listeners know a little bit about who you are, who's in your family and where you're living at the moment? Yeah, so my name's Tegan. Myself, my husband, Aaron, and my son, Xavier, who's 15 months now. We're living in Beveridge, which is right in the northern outskirts of Melbourne. We just moved back. Um, I say back as we're actually from the area, but have been living in Broken Hill for the last few years adventuring around. So yeah, happy to be back near family. I'm a speech pathologist. My husband's a teacher and we love getting out hiking, camping and basically just exploring anywhere we can. Yeah, we love traveling around. Mm, So magic. Tegan, talk to me about life when it was you and Aaron. Aaron and I met back in high school. So we are um, high school sweethearts. We met when we were about 13, 14 years old um, and we're really great friends. We were both in the school band, loved music. And then, yeah, I guess we started having feelings for each other and about 17 or so things shifted and we yeah became a couple. So ever since then, I guess we've really, really grown over the last 12 years. We've just sort of had lots of, yeah, we've lived in a lot of different places. We've traveled around. Life's been super exciting and fun and we've really grown and changed um, as people. I love high school sweetheart stories. You really get to grow <laughs> up and into one another. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're very different now than who we were in high school. So a lot, a lot's changed, but um, yeah, we've grown together. So it's been really nice. Talk to me about those initial conversations or did you have conversations about starting a family? Yeah, we did. We knew um, we, that we both wanted to have children at some point. And then we got married at the start of 2019 and went on a honeymoon, which we um, trekked in Nepal up on the Annapurna Ranges. So we oh. didn't have a relaxing, romantic <laughs> honeymoon. We, we went adventuring around and we got back from that. And I had sort of 
yeah, I think I initiated that conversation and sort of said, oh, what do you think? And Aaron said, oh, you know, I don't think I'm ready yet. And I said, okay, you know, fair enough. And we had a bit of a chat that, you know, perhaps I'd get my marina taken out and it would probably take a really long time anyway, you know, just to get my cycle going and all that sort of thing. And he was happy to do that. So we went ahead and got that taken out, thinking that, you know, it would be a good six months before I even got a cycle back or anything like that. And four weeks later, I was pregnant. It was it was a shocking surprise even for both of us, but obviously a very welcome one. So um, yeah, it took us a little bit to get our heads around. I bet. Talk to me about actually finding out. What was that like? So I had, I don't know what made me test. It was actually our six month wedding anniversary. And I just woke up and thought, I'm going to do a test. I had bought tests already <laughs> like prepared for if I felt funny or whatever. I, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. I just had this feeling that I wanted to go and take a test and I did. And it came back positive. It was very faintly positive. So, and I went and got bloods done that week and I was only very early, perhaps four weeks pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very shocked. And you said you were feeling well. Did you feel well throughout the whole pregnancy? First trimester wasn't too bad. I did have that sort of um, nausea that I think many people feel where you just sort of have to keep snacking to keep the nausea at bay. So I think that kicked in around the seven week mark. Felt incredibly tired, but you know, compared to what some people go through, I think I actually cruised through. It wasn't too bad first trimester. So yeah, first and second were really good. And were you feeling okay emotionally? How were you tracking mentally? Mentally, I would say I was doing really well. I was excited. I would say I'm a knowledge is power kind of person. And I'd really gone down the rabbit hole of trying to find out everything I could, doing lots of reading, podcasts, just to prepare myself, I guess, mentally. I like to be in control. And so doing lots of preparation in that way was really exciting and fun. Yeah. And were you leaning into a kinship support network at that time during pregnancy? I was. I had a lot of really good friends in the community where we were living that were mums. So we got to have really good conversations about pregnancy. I had one friend in particular who had four children. She was just a wealth of knowledge. She was really, really incredible, had had beautiful births with her babies and had breastfed all her babies. And she was a really excellent support. Amazing. Yeah. I was also really lucky that Broken Hill, while it's very remote and small, their model of practice is a midwifery group practice model. So I did have my own set midwife from the start and I knew a lot of the other midwives there as well. So they were an excellent support. Brilliant. That's so great to have access to something like that in a small community. It's so important. Absolutely. Yeah, we got to know each other really well. So that was a a very positive. Talk to me about preparing for the birthday. Did you have a vision in mind of what you were hoping for? I did. I'd been listening to Australian Birth Stories podcast for years, actually, Um, probably three or four years. I was, you know, very interested in birth. I did have a vision in mind. I'd read Juju Sundan's birth skills book. I followed Physio Laura on Instagram and Facebook and all of that sort of thing. So I really wanted to put Juju's strategies into place for pain relief. I was hoping for a, you know, a nice vaginal birth, but unfortunately um, my little Xavier never turned from being breech. So we knew he was breech early on and he never once flipped. And so while I still did prepare in hopes that he would, I think around the 33 week mark, I actually sort of had this strong feeling that perhaps he may not. And I really threw myself then into mentally preparing for a really positive C-section if that were to be the case. And so that was a real shift for me while trying to keep open that yes he may he may flip but as those weeks ticked by I'm more and more shifted to really looking at positive cesarean section stories Um, and I guess what we could do post that would make that time special and to still have skin to skin and for that to be as positive an 
an experience as possible. So I threw myself into planning that instead. (laughs) Yes. I think that's the key with a good birth plan, isn't it? It's the ability to be able to make decisions as you have more information and to co-create that with your babe too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's probably a strength of mine um, is that I have been thrown quite a few things in life and so I can be quite resilient in that way and just say, okay, well, this is what's being thrown so I'm going to make the best of it and what can I control and what can't I control in this and if there is something that I can control then I will throw myself into that and try and I really wanted to go into it no matter how it looked feeling positive. I guess that was my overall goal because I knew that if I didn't, you know, that would really... I felt like I would have regrets. And it's so much of a head game, isn't it? Birth and pregnancy and parenthood in general, right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, there's very little in in your control. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Letting go of expectations is number one. That's right. Yes, yeah. (laughs) And were you also preparing for postpartum for yourself? You spoke about preparing some things for those first few moments with Xavier, but were you thinking about postpartum beyond Honestly, probably not as much as I should have. Um, I was certainly preparing for breastfeeding and I'd done a lot of reading of the Australian Breastfeeding Association resources and I really was utilising the midwives at the hospital as well to have lots of chats about what that might look like. I had cooked meals and prepared meals. Because our family lived so far away, we were sort of planning and preparing how that would look and who would come up and stay when. But obviously, as the time ticks closer, I think it was perhaps two weeks before Xavier was born, lockdown was discussed. And then I think lockdown was put in place a week before he was born, perhaps not even a week. Mm, so um, so things, things changed again in that respect. So our plans were just completely thrown out the window in the way of support. Yeah, Things just looked a little bit different. And we sort of just had to take that time as it came. And what were the first few signs that Xavier might be ready to join you? I had no signs. Yeah, Yeah. I had no. We had, yeah, he was booked in at 40 plus two for a C-section. And so I was, you know, I was still desperately hoping that I'd get to um, go into labour naturally and feel some labour before going in. But no, there was no signs, nothing. He was happy. actually... He was very happy, very happy, very cosy. So so we had our our C-section booked. It was locked down. So Aaron and I had a really nice romantic dinner from the fancy restaurant in town. Um, We got a really, really lovely meal delivered to our door and had candles on and just had a really nice dinner together the night before going in. So that was really special, I think, back of that, you know, on that night really fondly. Oh, my gosh. It's such a beautiful way to kind of mark your relationship to date and also celebrate the change that was coming into your life as well how divine yeah it was a really really special time we were both very excited yeah and talk to me about Xavier's birthday yeah so Xavier's birthday 2nd of April um and we went on in very early in the morning very excited yeah for what was to come I remember going to the postnatal ward we got checked in I got a catheter inserted ready prepped all ready for surgery and then wheeled into the operating theater and had the lovely beautiful team in there they were everyone was super positive they asked me what music that I wanted and I I hadn't even thought about music something which was really funny um but my anaesthetist was Swedish they said oh well we'll just play some Swedish music and it was I just said (laughs) I don't mind what you play as long as it's positive and upbeat and it was this hilarious Swedish music it was really funny oh gorgeous Yes. And then I guess they um, prepped me to put the spinal anaesthetic in. And I had been some having some difficulties in third trimester with dizziness, fainting and laying on my back for even 
like even 10 seconds, I would get very dizzy and feel like I was going to pass out. And I had spoken to the anaesthetist about that in a in a pre-planning meeting and he he was excellent. He um, sort of said, don't worry, like we'll, we'll be looking after you and we'll, you know, we can t- certainly turn you on your side slightly or raise the chair up a little bit. So I guess maybe within a 60 seconds of the spinal anaesthetic going in and they laid me down, I felt really unwell. And then from there, things really went a bit haywire. So I don't have a lot of memory actually of the birth, but I do, I just remember feeling my firstly um, really shaky and I did start gagging and vomiting and then they said it's okay you know I could hear them saying you know it's okay and we're you know we're going to fix it and then my heart started just racing and I I couldn't speak and I just I did remember getting out my heart I remember saying my heart and I could hear them talking and then I lost consciousness and they did they did get me back and then as far as I know they did bring Aaron in and and I appeared okay, but I don't have any memory of, of Xavier's birth, unfortunately. But Aaron has very fond memories. He, he had no idea that that had happened before they brought him in. And I, I was conscious when he was brought in. But yeah, Xavier was born very healthy, eight pound three, 54 centimetres, so very tall bubba. Um, and he, we found out it was a boy because he was a surprise. While I don't have a memory of that, um, Aaron has very fond memory of finding out that Zave was a boy. Oh, Tegan. Yeah, I guess from that, after that, I, I got taken into recovery and my blood pressure was really unstable and they, they were, I guess, a little bit confused. They didn't quite know what was going on. I'd ended up in recovery for three hours and my blood pressure still hadn't hadn't stabilized and so they ended up doing um, an echocardiogram in in recovery and I was still alone at that time Xavier and Aaron were on the postnatal ward as it had sort of been expected that I'd only been in recovery for 20 minutes oh goodness but the echocardiogram actually showed that my heart was failing so I was in severe heart failure yeah I didn't know at the time but I don't think anyone really knew what was going on and then from there I was sent to ICU and I think I oh, held Xavier for the first time that night but it was very brief you know I think back at that time and I just had no idea what was going on no one really knew no one really communicated it was very stressful time um, with COVID as well I think the team in Broken Hill just didn't have any explanation for what was going on and I think my body actually had so much adrenaline from the birth I thought at the time that I didn't feel that unwell so I was had a lot of confusion I guess of you know what's what's going on and then they allowed Aaron to bring in Zave six o'clock that night I think it was into ICU I remember the doctor's came around on their on their rounds and it was quite abrupt which was which is very much the theme of of my entire hospital stay but I remember the doctor sort of saying this is what's happened your heart's failing you can't breastfeed because the medication they'll put you on won't allow you to breastfeed and you'll not have children again um and that that was pretty much it and then they said we will be flying you out and at first they said Adelaide and then a few hours later they changed their mind and said they don't have the specialists that you need we're going to send you to Sydney so that was a shock because like I said I just didn't feel that unwell and they I I just didn't I just thought oh my blood pressure is just going to stabilize and it's going to be fine I just Mm. I don't think I was really in reality at that point so I had a lot going on (laughs) a lot such a challenging time absolutely and it was it took me a while in the in I guess the grieving journey a few months on to realize I guess what what Aaron my husband had gone through because it had very much been focused on what I had lost and my own feelings that I had sort of lost along the way you know how difficult a journey that was for him because Sydney's actually a 15 hour drive from Broken Hill so while Mm. I got flown off in RFDS with very little notice the next morning he then had to get in the car and drive to get to us which was very stressful for him given that he'd spent the night with Zave in postnatal ward and then we were gone and he didn't know how 
I was. Mm. And Xavier was able to go with you in the plane to Sydney? He was. Okay. Yes. So they kept us together, but he was a social admission into the special care. So he wasn't with me in Sydney. He was taken down to special care. And was Xavier tracking okay? Xavier was perfectly healthy. He was he was beautiful. I had antenatally expressed a little bit of colostrum. So he did get that on day one. But other than that, he was put straight onto formula, as I was told in Broken Hill that was it. You can't breastfeed. There's no point even latching. So we hadn't. And then, yeah, in Sydney, as I said, he was taking straight down to special care and I wasn't able to see him until Aaron arrived and could come and get him and bring him up himself. Take him. Yeah. What was that like? It was incredibly difficult. Um, mm. I think I think I was very much in fight fight or flight mode at that time. I was. I'd like to think that in a medical setting, I'm actually normally really knowledgeable, really informed, and I advocate for myself. But after that stay in Sydney, I'd never felt so vulnerable, and I'd never felt less like myself actually. And I just felt. I just feel like I sort of left my body a little bit almost um, to cope because it was just so. It was just so painful. And it's just such a huge change. Going through birth in itself is so huge to then be throwing this massive curveball and to be isolated and away from your community. That's just really huge. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I guess things things got it got better in the way that when Aaron arrived, I could see Zave and that sort of really lifted me. Every time yeah. Aaron could bring Zave in, that was just, I, I thought of nothing else other than being with Zave. Mm. Um, and the moment Aaron had to leave because he st- had to stay in a hotel across the road and Xavier had to go back down to special care. It was just, yeah, it was really hard. I'm, I mean, I'm really grateful that I got to see him every day that I was there. I remember the end of every day was just, yeah, really hard. Were the team able to explain what they thought had happened? Was there an explanation for the heart failure? So not initially. When I arrived, it was a, so I flew out of Broken Hill on a Friday morning. So I arrived in Sydney on a, yeah, about Friday lunchtime, early afternoon. And they said, okay, it's the weekend now. So no tests will be done until Monday. Um, you'll just, so I was just put in a coronary care unit and was monitored basically and started on medication, but no one, I didn't, I hadn't had any testing in the way of like a cardiac MRI or anything like that. So that was a really long wait. Um, and I didn't have that until maybe the Tuesday or Wednesday of the next week. And that's when I got the diagnosis of what had happened, which was called peripartum cardiomyopathy. So a pregnancy induced heart failure. It was tricky. Something I would like to say is while Aaron got to spend time with Zave down in special care, he met lots of people. And one of those people was a beautiful lactation consultant who came up to see me, I think on the Sunday. So I'd given birth to Zave on the Thursday and they came and found me and said it was absolutely incorrect that I couldn't, I couldn't breastfeed and said, you're actually on perfectly safe medication and they've given you the wrong advice and we're going to get Zave up here right now. And I wanted to, you know, I want it to be a priority that you start latching and <sighs> pumping ASAP. So <laughs> she bought the pump up and I was pumping as much as I could. It was a bit of a fight between the teams. The lactation consultants wanted me to pump three hourly. The coronary care unit wanted me to rest um, and sleep. 
And it was just a constant battle, really, between the two, really conflicting sort of opinions, I guess. But I felt so strongly about my breastfeeding journey that I worked really, really hard. (laughs) The last bottle that Xavier had was the flight home back to Broken Hill. We were totally on the breast by the end of that time. We only just finished our breastfeeding journey perhaps a week ago, two weeks ago, 15 months. That's something I brings me so much joy and really helped with my healing in Sydney. It really helped me get through such a dark and difficult time to just hold him and know that it was almost that breastfeeding brought us more time together because the staff ended up having to bring him up to me more often in in the night. And yeah, the lactation consultant really, really advocated for me, which I'll never forget. Oh, Tegan, what a difference it makes when you have someone alongside you advocating for what you need and want as well. You showed so much strength then and so much resilience. Yeah. Yeah. It was just really important to me. Yeah. I felt really connected to breastfeeding, I guess, for the rest of our journey, just because of what that did for me at the start and what that did for the both of us. Oh, it's such a precious bond. If you can get it to work, it is such a gorgeous relationship. It's tricky at times, no doubt. It is absolutely tricky. Yeah, Yeah. it it had many challenges. Yes, we had nipple shields and block ducts and nystitis and lots of things along the way. So it was in no way a a very easy journey. But Zave also had lots of weight issues, which is another whole thing of trying to advocate for myself and find the best advice in lots of different conflicting advice from lots of different health professionals. Yeah, it's not an easy journey, absolutely. But it's one that I'm really glad that I was able to persist with and it it ended up working for me in the end. And how were you tracking emotionally during that time, Tegan, that time when you were in the hospital in Sydney? How were you feeling emotionally? Uh, I was rock bottom. It was an incredibly difficult time. I guess what made it the most difficult was that I'd been put on a coronary care unit ward Nobody let the postpartum ward there or the, sorry, the postnatal ward. No one allocated me a midwife. No one recognised that I'd actually given birth. And that goes down to the point that I wasn't even showered until the Monday. I'd given birth Thursday. I wasn't showered. I wasn't washed. I didn't have pads changed. So by the time they, you know, they would realise I would have, you know, bled through the sheets. It was just incredibly shameful, actually, and incredibly painful and something that really, yeah, I still get emotional today. Yeah. It just made me very vulnerable um, and it changed me to my core. And I did give I did give feedback. It took me months, months and months and months of grieving to write that that ward some feedback on their, you know, how, how I was treated, I guess, as a patient. And I was very much treated as one piece of a puzzle, heart only. That made it incredibly difficult. There were lots of things that sort of happened where, you know, I overheard conversations of the special care ward rigging up to the CCU and I could overhear someone just saying, no, she's too tired. Don't bring the baby up. She's too tired. And I would have to like ding them and say, I just heard you say that. And I'm not too tired. Actually, I want to see my baby. Um, But they didn't, they just didn't have that understanding. Yeah. So things like that made mentally, it's so challenging. Absolutely. Because you are a whole person as well, Tegan. Like you said, they're not just dealing with your heart. They're dealing with you as a whole person. And your motherhood couldn't be taken away in that moment. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have physical support in the hospital as well? Were your family able to come at all or was it the three of you? No, very much the three of us. Everywhere was in complete lockdown. So this, mm. we were in Sydney, our family was in Melbourne, but they wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been allowed visitors. So they were incredibly generous to let Aaron in the hours that they did. The hours were actually meant to be much more restricted even for him. And they were quite generous with that. There wouldn't have been, I would not have been allowed any other visitors. So 
Yeah, that was challenging too in I think even for Aaron because he spent all day as much as he could in in with us at the hospital and then had to go back alone in his hotel room. Yeah, that was something that we had planned in Broken Hill that even if I was I knew that I was having a C-section that perhaps his parents would come up first and stay in the house with him because same thing no one would have been able to visit in the hospital but at least we were hoping Aaron would have that support back at home. So yeah, it was a really isolating time. Absolutely. Yeah. And even just trying to weigh up your time between or his time between being there and being a supportive partner for you, but then also very trying to be so. there for Xavier in special care. Absolutely. You know, I still to this day, but very much back then, just had these intense feelings of guilt, really, that Xavier was perfectly healthy, that he's, he was down in special care with all these incredibly sick babies, but he was he was perfectly healthy. And the only reason he was there, and not even with his dad, just, just there, was just because my body had failed me. That's how I felt. So that was a really difficult, those feelings of guilt, both for, for Xavier, mostly for Xavier, but also for Aaron, that, you know, he's going home with no one, you know, and we're all sort of separate. And I just think, you know, you hear of NICU stories, which are incredibly painful, and but I'd never heard of someone, and I'm sure there's so many out there, but it's not something that I'd really, in my time preparing with like Australian Birth Stories podcasts, I hadn't had anyone sort of share where their baby was healthy, but they weren't, and what those sorts of feelings were like. And I, yeah, I had a really hard time dealing with that. Oh, Tegan, and like you haven't failed at all. It's just really highlighting a system that's got so much room for growth right absolutely yeah so much room and I guess I'm really glad that I didn't end up putting some written feedback in to that ward because I do I do reflect now and say you know birth wasn't there area and I and I get that but it would have been you know so nice for it to have been thought about that oh wow she's just given birth this isn't my area perhaps I'll just make a phone call to a midwife or to the postnatal ward and you know I don't expect people to to know everything or to work in areas that they're not comfortable with because I I felt that a lot that the nurses weren't comfortable coming in and changing my pads for example so it was let go because it's just not their bread and butter and um I get that now on some level but yeah I I hope that they've learned from that experience and I really hope if someone in future is in the same position that they call and ask for help absolutely yeah and yeah I was bed bound I wasn't they didn't get me up to walk I think till maybe the Monday the Monday so it's quite a long a long time of being bed bound post-birth which I knew um and I I was really trying to advocate for myself to get them to get myself up and moving um they just didn't that's just not what they did on that ward yeah rest was sort of their their number one priority that did make my healing from the cesarean section a much longer journey and even two weeks post-birth I was still going home on all the painkillers I was still very much very sore so and were you able to return back to Broken Hill after two weeks yeah yeah so two weeks we we headed home so I had my tests done and yeah then it was Easter and they were trying to figure out how they would get me home actually because a lot had changed due to COVID and they thought oh it'll be after Easter now and then once again we got you know we were bathing Zave I think at six o'clock at night on Good Friday a midwife came in to us and said Tegan your plane's going to be here in 20 minutes you're going home so we had 20 minutes to unpack our things and yeah get Zave ready um, and Zave flew with me again Aaron once again had to drive the entire way home I felt really relieved actually um, because my stay in Sydney had been so difficult and I thought fantastic I'm I'm going back to the postnatal ward in Broken Hill that I know and I know the midwives and I know the nurses and I know the hospital yeah. and I'm 
I'm so excited to get out of here, I think, is where I was at. And, you know, only recently has Aaron come forward and sort of said, well, actually, that was really stressful for me because I just knew how much I'd miss you. And I still had this whole 15-hour exhausting drive ahead of me and it was already six o'clock and so he had to leave his hotel and yeah sort of start the journey yeah I arrived back in Broken Hill late quite late that night thinking great I'm going to go on the postnatal ward and I'm going to get some support I'd never once been alone with Zabe yet um, because the only time I was allowed to have Zabe was when Aaron brought him um, in for me so um, at that point it was my sort of first time um, alone with Zabe and I thought great I'm going to actually learn to change his nappy and all the things that Aaron had learned to do but I hadn't um, I hadn't yet but we arrived in Broken Hill and the ambulance sort of yeah we're pushing in the doors of the hospital and people were backing away And what I hadn't realised was, yeah, COVID had really changed things in that time and I'd been in such a COVID hotspot hospital that I didn't know that. Um, And so I was actually put in isolation with Zave and we were both COVID tested. So he was only, yeah, two weeks old. And we had to be isolated until the results came back, which back then was possibly a week. It was a really long time. So basically until Aaron got there, we were in isolation and I'd never been alone with Zave before. So what I thought was a huge relief was actually just another um, another hit really. And once again, I kind of went into fight and flight mode and just was sort of like, I've just got to get through this. And I just, I remember just breastfeeding the entire time, I think, because, and I think that's how our breastfeeding sort of kicked off. Um, yeah. Because every time he cried, I was just like, well, I don't know what boo, else to boo, do. Boo. I'll just feed you. I've got nothing else. Um but I soon learned how to change his nappy and, you know, it's quick, it's amazing how quickly you learn. It seems so silly to say that, but it was, it was really, yeah, quite a stressful, a stressful time and just the feeling of relief when Aaron finally made it. We were just so exhausted but so relieved to just get home. It had just been such a, such an ordeal. Absolutely, Tegan, my goodness. Was yeah. Aaron able to stay with the two of you in hospital in Broken Hill or did he still have to head home every night? As soon as Aaron got there, I could actually go home. I was actually ready for discharge, but they didn't think I could care for Zave well enough by myself. So they admitted me back to the postnatal ward just to buy Aaron time to do the massive drive back. And then as soon as he arrived, I actually was able to be discharged and, and we we went straight home from there. Oh, talk to me about taking Zave home. Oh, that was just the best, the best. It was a really, yeah, it was also a blur. (laughs) I don't, I don't, you know, it's, I say it's the best and I remember feeling, you know, immensely relieved, but I don't have a great memory either of that time. It just felt like a blur. I do remember putting him in the car seat. We only live two streets away from the hospital and thinking, oh, we're finally going home. And then, but then actually getting home. I remember just, we were both so exhausted. You know, Aaron had just driven 15 hours to get back to me as quickly as he could, knowing that I was, we were put in isolation. He was really stressed about that and was really just trying to power through and get home. And I, yeah, I just, I think I was just a bit broken really. But I also think that I had been in fight and flight constantly for two weeks that, yeah, after a day or two of being home, I think I just, yeah, fell apart a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I was just very, very emotional and very down and very, yeah, every emotion (laughs) just came out really, yeah. Absolutely. You were finally able to kind of be in your place and just release. Definitely, yep. Um, Did you access support for that? Was there follow-up support that was guiding you through that period or were you left 
alone again. I was left alone, definitely. I think with, uh, yeah, once again, I think COVID just really impacted that. But there also isn't a lot of mental health support in, in town in general, being a small remote town. I did have my midwife come out a few times, which was not really, really nice. But she was very um, young and sort of inexperienced. It was her first year out as a midwife. I don't know that she knew how to flag for mental health support. After a few months, I actually ended up reaching out to a place called the Gidget Foundation. And that was great. So I ended up having, yeah, psychology sessions through the Gidget Foundation for, yeah, quite a number of months, weekly, weekly sessions, which was really helpful. So important just to have another ear to hold space and listen to how you're traveling. It's so important. Definitely. And yeah, it, it, it was really challenging. There are a few, a small handful of people that I felt I could really just say exactly how I felt and I and I felt like they heard me and they they may not have understood, but they they really gave me the space that I needed to just talk. Yeah, I had maybe two really important people that I'm thinking of that, yeah, that I was able to do that with. But otherwise, I ended up really socially isolating. I just couldn't cope. I couldn't cope with my normal friends that I'd normally talk to. Um, they just, you know, no one knew what to say and that wasn't their fault, but I couldn't, I just couldn't cope at that time. So I definitely took a step back from a lot of people and just, just really isolated myself for a while. What was the light at that point? What was, what was the turning point? When did that haze lift? Has it lifted? It definitely has lifted. Yeah, it it has definitely lifted. I think it probably took a good six months really. And the thing is at home, with Xavier, I was so, I was happy. I was, you know, I could think of, it's like I devoted my life to just being with him. Every moment that I could be with him was so special. And I felt so great being a, being a mum to him. And it, it felt like it came really naturally to me. I loved being with him. I, I didn't often feel like I really need a break. I just loved being with him so much. But the thought of then doing anything else really overwhelmed me. You know, having conversations about normal things that didn't revolve around Zave or, you know, I just felt like my mind couldn't couldn't get off anything else at that point. But that definitely lifted. That definitely lifted after about six six months. It was it was a it was a bit of a journey. Yeah, things got better. The the Gidget Foundation sessions definitely helped me over time. And I think just time, just time really. Also writing out my feedback to the hospital. I think I did that at around the six month point. That was a bit healing for me just to write things out and send that off. That was really important to me and it was quite healing. And I think after about six months is when I met a few mums in town. So someone actually reached out to me who was in one of my antenatal classes and we didn't actually meet. She only came to one and she saw me post on an Australia-wide Facebook page and she reached out and messaged me and said, I know who you are and, you know, I'm in town and come out for coffee with me. And we're still very, very good friends to this day. And that was a turning point for me because I got out and I, you know, there had been, there had been no mother's groups. So in that way, nothing had forced me really to get out, you know, forced me to meet people. So I did, I met her for coffee and she had a friend with her as well, who had also had her own sort of experience of of a traumatic birth. And even just, I remember that first day so vividly of how healing that was to get out and to have a coffee with two other mums and just talk and they validated me. Yes. 
And that was a turning point, definitely. And then from there, she sort of introduced me to a few other people. And that wasn't an easy road. Once that sort of grew into more and more mums, I actually, you know, sort of went backwards a bit again and thought, oh, this socialising is really hard, which is funny because I'm such a social person. So I found that transition surprisingly difficult. I, I never thought I'd be a person that would have social anxiety. But um, certainly that's what happened when I sort of started going to groups where there were five or more mums, um, all having, you know, really intense conversations about everything and anything. You know, I worked with the Gidget Foundation still then about, you know, just listening to myself and listening to what I needed. And if if what I needed was to only catch up with one or two people at a time, then I went back to doing that until I built my confidence back up again and until, I guess, I felt better in myself and more resilient. Yeah, because I guess I just felt really broken and vulnerable and I just wasn't used to feeling that way. So, yeah, it just took that time. But that was a turning point, definitely. Yeah, she knows that I'm grateful for that. So, What a special person. Definitely. Um, how's your physical recovery been since the birth? Right now I'm, I'm doing great. I actually just had a, an echocardiogram a few weeks ago that was my one-year post and everything's looking perfect, they said. Amazing. So I've basically just on medication at the moment. It might end up being lifelong. It's just to take all the stress off my heart, really. So right now I'm feeling great. I think it took me a while, definitely the fatigue, not only of the actual heart event, but the medication as well slows me down. It slows everything down. Metabolism, um, I have put on, had a you know a bit of weight gain, but overall my heart's doing really well. Um, where that will get complicated is if we choose to um, have a second pregnancy. You know, we have had advice that we would be supported if we chose to do that. There are definitely risks involved and that's something that, you know, if the time comes that we can go and have a, a bit of pre-pregnancy counselling with the maternal cardiac unit at the Mercy. They have a, yeah, a unit for that in their perinatal clinic. So it's just something that, yeah, if the time comes and we're thinking of that, that we can go and talk more in depth about the risk. There is a, a significant risk of relapse again and just what that would look like, I guess. And do they think that the fainting spells that you were having in the third trimester were related to that? Was it the first sign of your heart condition? It wasn't picked up, but yes, they do. The, the specialists in Sydney do think that that's perhaps what had happened. And it's really difficult because from what I know now of speaking to other women that have been through the same thing, the difficulty is, is that the symptoms can just really mimic pregnancy symptoms. And also I had terribly low iron, which I'd never had before, but they, when I was feeling really unwell at the start of third trimester, my iron was tested and I had pretty much bottomed out and needed an infusion, which I had. And it did make me feel a little bit better, but not enough. It was to the point where I was, you know, having a shower, and then after that shower, I'd have to go back to bed again. I was so tired. Like that's the level of fatigue and I was feeling. And yeah, I was very lightheaded and fainting a lot, which I'd never felt before. I did also have tachycardia, so a really racing heart. And that had been picked up two or three times by the midwives, but nobody, like it was about 160 beats per minute, pretty standard. But I was sent for an ECG and that was done and no abnormalities were detected once again, just the tachycardic rate. They actually had at that point said, we don't think anything's wrong. We think it's just normal pregnancy related, a faster beating of your heart rate, but we will refer you for an echocardiogram. But they didn't write urgent or anything like that. So 
in fact, that ended up being a month, like the wait was so long that it ended up being maybe two months after Zave was born that I got that echocardiogram. So, and that actually was the one to say, hey, your heart's actually kicked back in and it's doing much better. Um, but had I have had that, had that have been written in that it was urgent and I had that, um, what they think is that, yeah, that would have shown my heart was starting to fail. And perhaps, you know, given that my heart was most likely already starting to fail, that the spinal anesthetic was just too much, pushed it over the edge. So that's that sort of what they what they think but there's a lot of unknowns which I think has been really been a bit challenging and in itself there's a lot of unknowns about what and why and what could happen in future and what might not happen in future listening to your story I'm just like you are a freaking champion just so (laughs) strong it's mind-blowing Tegan thank you (laughs) I think I didn't feel strong for a long time certainly didn't feel strong I've really worked on it I've worked really hard to, yeah, try and get, not get past it because that would be the wrong thing to say. I don't think you can get past it, but to, yeah, to just sit with it, I guess. Talk to me about family life now. What's family life like as a family of three? It is incredible. We're in a really good place. This is probably my favourite age so far. So we made the decision quite quickly at the end of last year to move back closer to home from Broken Hill, which I don't think it definitely wouldn't have happened if if it wasn't in a COVID time. Things didn't happen the way it happened, but, you know, it did. And yeah, we made that decision to be closer to, to family, but also to be closer to a bigger hospital and better healthcare. And so, yeah, we we said goodbye to Broken Hill and we started our new chapter in, in Beveridge in Victoria and Aaron started a new job and I have recently, halfway through term one, um, also started a, a new job based at a high school. The balance of the work, the working and the staying home has been yeah, amazing for me. I think it's actually what I really needed almost to give myself a break from thinking and devoting my my entire life to Zave, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I needed my mind to be able to go somewhere else um, for a little bit. So I love my days at home with Zave. I love my days at work. That's been really great. And Zave's just started walking and saying a few words and it's just a really, really fun time. Yeah. Oh, I find this age so much fun. Like they're so spunky and their personalities are so sparkly. Like also the tantrums are a real vibe. But my gosh, <laughs> it's like actually someone you can really interact with. Every day I'm like, you are so funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Constant entertainment. We're not, we haven't had any terrible tantrums yet, but I can feel it <laughs> brewing. It's brewing. <laughs> I just feel like we're in a really good place actually. And yeah, really happy we get to see family and friends a lot more often than than we did. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. Talk to me about your kinship network now that you're back in Melbourne. We have both Aaron's parents and my mum. They're still about 40 minutes away, but that's a lot closer than nine hours. It's really nice. And I guess just being able to socialise for me again, I was a real social butterfly I don't do it often now and I need to get better at it, you know, getting out um, without save sometimes for myself. But yeah, I have I have my cousin living 10 minutes up the road who I'm very, very close with. So she's a great support. Just really nice to be, to be closer to friends and family if I need them. You know, they're able to babysit and do all the things that they wanted to do as grandparents as well that they hadn't been able to. Oh, such a beautiful time, Tegan. I'm so glad that things are really looking well for you and your family now. Thank you. 
thank you. Thank you so much for talking about peripartum cardiomyopathy. I had never heard of it before you sent the email on through. I think the more that we can talk about all of the different variations of what birth and postpartum can look like, people will feel safer and more supported to share their story or at least know that they're not alone as well. So thank you for speaking so openly and honestly. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It is such a joy to share these stories with you each week. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share it with someone in your very own kin. You can see all of the gorgeous images of the families that join me each week and get the latest news from kin on Instagram at kinbycharlotte. I can't wait to chat with you next week. Mm -hmm.